invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to Romans chapter 11. Uh, We'll be reading a short passage there, Romans 11, verses 33 uh, through 36. That's what we'll be focusing on uh, this morning. I'll be reading one verse uh, from 1 Corinthians 10, 31 as well. Uh, We've been looking together, as you recall, uh, here in January, now February, uh, at some questions that we want to ask together as a church body. Uh, We're seeking together uh, his kingdom first. We're praying for open doors and open mouths. We're standing upon the God-breathed scripture. Uh, We're worshiping the the risen Christ. We're growing together as each part uh, does its work, united to the head. And today we want to consider in all this uh, ministry, in all this worship, uh, in all this service, in what it means to be the church, uh, who, uh, who will we glorify together? Who will we glorify together? And you know the answer uh, to that question. Romans 11, uh, verses 33 to 36, and then 1 Corinthians 10, 31. This is uh, the ever-enduring, ever-living uh, Word of God. Oh, the depths of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are His judgments and how inscrutable His ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has been His counselor? Or who has given a gift to Him? that he might be repaid. For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. And 1 Corinthians 10.31 where the Apostle Paul writes to the church in Corinth, So, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, uh, as we've just sung together, uh, we have gathered here uh, at your word, uh, not to hear men, uh, but to hear you uh, speak to us. And so, Lord, we pray that in that wonderful, mysterious, uh, powerful way, uh, by the work of your Holy Spirit, Uh, You would take these words that we've just read upon the page, the words that are preached uh, to all of our ears, that you would help us, Lord, to hear you, uh, to see you, uh, that we might love you more, even today. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, when I think about this uh, passage of Scripture, and uh, actually when I was uh, confessing with you earlier this morning uh, what it is that we believe Uh, about God and what the Scriptures teach about God, those long sections in our confession of faith, wonderful uh, sections, speaking of who God is. It always comes to mind that that we're we're swimming in uh, in the depths, uh, that there are depths of who God is that, uh, you know, you you can come a little bit into the water. Uh, just like you can go a little bit into the ocean, but there's always a sense when we're thinking about God Himself uh, that there are always, there are always depths uh, that are left to be yet known and explored. Uh, now, I'm not a good swimmer, 
Um, I don't think my parents were good swimmers either. They grew up in the Netherlands, in the province of Zeeland, which had plenty of water. But I don't think they were big swimmers. So usually when I think about swimming in the depths, uh, I get a little nervous um, because I'm not a good swimmer. In fact, I didn't really uh, put my head under the water uh, until I was about 19 years old. I didn't even know how to, uh, how to breathe out my nose until one of my eight sisters finally told me once, you know, Peter, you can go underwater without plugging your nose. I thought, oh, I didn't know that. And so they taught me how I could go underwater without plugging my nose. And all of a sudden, swimming uh, became much more uh, enjoyable uh, for me. Well, that's what I think about when I think about uh, the depths of who God is. That we are called as Christians uh, to swim uh, in the depths. And to go as deep as we can, by God's grace, uh, into the knowledge of God. You know that Second Peter 3 tells us that we're to grow in the grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So there's always a sense as the church that we're growing. We need to grow in grace, uh, understanding the grace and mercy of God, and grow in knowledge of God, knowledge of our, of our Lord. And those two are, are so important, not one without the other. Grace without knowledge is uh, uh, sentimentality. You know, there's no content to your faith or to your feelings. And uh, knowledge without grace is, uh, is, is just a rationalistic kind of interest in religious things without any kind of heart affection for the God whom we, whom we know. And so this is a wonderful thing. We have a, as a church, first of all, we have a, a confession. We used it earlier uh, this morning that we believe, first of all, in a glorious uh, God. We believe in a glorious God. And we swim together uh, as a church uh, in the depths. And that's a wonderful thing because even as the Apostle Paul here at the end of Romans 11 uh, is going to say something about the wonder of who God, wonder of who God is. Uh, this is what we are to be about together uh, as, uh, as a church. Our knowledge of God, our convictions about the truth of who God is, that all binds us and will bind us ever closer together. That's why confessions of faith and catechisms are so important because they're, they're confessing truths of what the Bible teaches and that as we grow in, in, in confessing the truths of Scripture, we're bound further together in love as the body of Christ. Because we're saying the same thing about God with our mouths uh, that we believe in our hearts uh, about Him. And that's why the, uh, the Scripture is filled with this uh, encouragement that we are we're not simply growing in our knowledge of God uh, alone, but we do that together. And so Ephesians 2, that great passage about the church, says this, Ephesians 2.20, the church is built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus Himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In Him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God uh, by the Spirit. And so the Bible tells us we're growing uh, up together uh, in our convictions about who God is and about His, His glory. So that's simply the first thing. We confess a glorious God. Our life, our lives, the church, uh, it's all about Him. And this is what has overtaken Paul at the end of Romans 11. He's been reflecting on something of God's ways and His judgments, he tells us, His wisdom, His knowledge, His, his riches, His unsearchability, His inscrutability, and that leads him to, to pray. 
He knows uh, what it's all about and who it's all about. And it's important, of course, that we're together in this, that we confess together uh, a glorious God who has captured our hearts and captured our attention uh, as a church. Uh, the problem is, as uh, Paul Tripp, Christian counselor, has written, we are born, like Herod, uh, we are born glory thieves. We don't want to give God the glory. We don't want to, well, you want to recognize this glory of God. We, we kind of take it for ourselves. Listen to what Paul Tripp says. Life is not about us. It's not about our wants, our needs, or our feelings. It's not about our comfort, pleasure, and ease. It's not about us getting our personal definition of happiness. It's not about our satisfaction and contentment. It's not about how many of our dreams we actually get to experience. It's not about our successes and achievements. It's not about how successfully we avoid difficulty and suffering. It's not about how well our relationships are working. It's not wrong to desire personal happiness and peace, a functioning body, healthy relationships. The issue, said Tripp, is this. These things must not rule our hearts because when they do, they place us at the center of our world and make it all about us. Sadly, many professing Christians, Paul Tripp included, includes himself here, live in a God-forgetting and God-replacing manner. We put ourselves in the center, decide for ourselves what we want life to be like, and reduce God to little more than the delivery system for our catalog of self-oriented dreams. Uh, Today, remember, he says, celebrate. Remember that all that exists, including us, is from God, exists through Him, and points to Him. He's the beginning, the center, and the end of all things. His will is preeminent and will be done. His kingdom will come. Grace decimates our Lordship and causes us to bow to the one true Lord. Only by grace can we celebrate a Lordship uh, other than our own. But we confess a glorious God. The problem is, though, uh, that, uh, that we want that glory for ourselves. And so it's hard for us at times uh, to, uh, uh, to sympathize with the Apostle Paul, who's clearly here in Romans 11 giving all glory uh, to God. Now, the interesting thing, of course, about Romans 11:33 to 36 uh, uh, is that it comes at the end of a long discussion uh, about God's plan of salvation. Uh, if you have your Bible open, if you turn back to Romans 9, where Paul com- kind of begins this whole discussion, Romans 9, 10, and 11, all focusing on God's sovereignty uh, in salvation, that uh, He is the one who has mercy on whom He has mercy, Jew or Gentile. Notice how this chapter had begun. It didn't begin uh, with uh, Romans 11.33. It began this way in Romans 9. I'm speaking the truth in Christ. I'm not lying. My conscience bears me witness in the Holy Spirit that I have... Listen to how he starts. I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish uh, in... My heart. That's how he starts, because he begins Romans 9, 10, 11, thinking about uh, the fact that he has uh, grown up as a Jew, and there's all sorts of covenant people, there's all sorts of other folks uh, who who have had the Scripture, uh, but they they haven't put their faith in Jesus. And uh, and the Apostle Paul has this this, this sorrow for those who have had all these blessings, uh, but they have not come to faith. And so he starts sorrowful. But then as he reflects on God's sovereignty, that he does all things well, and he refers to Pharaoh in the Old Testament, raising him up for a purpose, and 
uh, and uh, th- that it's, uh, it's not of our, our will or our assent or anything like that. It's only by God's mercy that someone's drawn to faith, whether it's Jew or Gentile. He gets to the end of reflecting on God's sovereignty and his own salvation and the salvation of all his people. Uh, and this is where it, this is where it leaves him. <laughs> he says, the depth of the riches and the wisdom and the knowledge of God, you see. As he reflects on the ways of God in salvation. That's theology. That's, that's thinking carefully about the Word of God. It's what you do when you read your Bible, when you come to worship, when you go to a Bible study, a growth group, whatever it is. You're studying carefully something of God and His ways. And that's what Paul did. But then at the end of it, of course, it doesn't just stay as a study of the words of Scripture. That theology leads to doxology. It leads to a word of praise. Right? A study of God in the Scripture leads to the praise of God or giving glory to God for what you've seen in the study. Worship without theology uh, is idolatry. Right? If you're worshiping something, but not, it's not the true God of Scripture, that's idolatry. Theology... Uh, without worship, that is, knowing about the true God, but not worshiping Him, truly, well, that's, that's Phariseeism, right? That's, that's having a um, kind of an external show of, of loving God, but not actually having given Him your heart. Think about it this way. Imagine you were a, um, I don't know what the word is for it, but imagine you were someone who studied hundreds and thousands, maybe, of varieties of butterflies, you ever seen a picture of a butterfly in the back of you get Creation magazine or Answers in Genesis, something like that? You ever study, you ever see a picture of that in the Creation magazine of one butterfly? Now imagine somebody who studies hundreds, thousands of varieties of butterflies, even as they might study God. But they study all those butterflies and at the end of the day they say, oh, this is interesting, they're not very heavy. And that's your grand conclusion. After you study all these varieties, instead of, instead of you know, studying all these varieties of butterflies, and uh, admiring uh, their beauty. Right? That's the difference between studying God like Paul does in Romans 9, 10, and 11 and, uh, and simply leaving it there, but then letting that knowledge of who He is lead to, to praise, you see. To praise of God. So we're swimming together as a church in the knowledge of God. Secondly, we're swimming deep uh, and uh, we'll be swimming forever. Uh, because uh, his glory, we find out from the Apostle Paul, is greater, uh, is greater than we know. Oh, he says, the depth. Oh, the, the great deeps of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How deep. You've heard the... Um, the critique, I'm sure, of the shallowness at times of the contemporary church with the saying that the church uh, is a mile wide uh, and an inch deep. Right? You've heard that saying? The idea that there's a little veneer, maybe, of a professing Christianity, but you don't have to dig very far and there's not really much there. Uh, um, I heard a, uh, I heard a, a preacher once say, uh, well, that's true, uh, but you can, also be, uh, you can also be a mile deep, Right? And an inch wide, you're so you're so deep. You don't you don't have, you know. There's no sense of the, the the you know the breadth of the Lord's work. It's really it's really we need to be both, isn't it? We need to be we need to be a mile wide, 
And we need to be uh, a mile deep. Now, that's a great illustration, I think. That's a great truth, because when you think about that, what does that remind you of? Something that's a mile wide and a mile deep. Oh, it reminds you of, should remind you of the ocean. The ocean, which seems to go on forever. And here's the thing. When it comes to the character and the attributes of who God is, we are swimming in an ocean uh, which goes on forever and whose bottom uh, we cannot fathom. This is what Paul says. Oh, the depth of the riches and the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are His judgments and how inscrutable His ways. For who, anybody? For who has known the mind of the Lord? Has got the Lord figured out exactly? Or who has been His counselor? Have you ever given God advice? Uh, if you were honest, yeah, say, oh Lord, I think wouldn't it be better if who's been his counselor or who has given a gift to him uh, that he might be repaid? I'm gonna have to find a new way to attach my tie or attach not my tie, my microphone, because it keeps falling off. The Apostle Paul wants us here to be amazed, and he wants us to understand that his glory is greater than we know, uh, greater than we understand. Uh, there's always uh, a deeper place in the ocean to swim. The problem is, of course, sometimes we treat God uh, like a kiddie pool. Um, you know, we have a pool now at the home uh, that we have in Mullica Hill. We've never owned a pool before. Instead, every summer, uh, we, we go to Home Depot or wherever it is and we buy um, a, a pool and they never last more than a week. Um, you know, we put it out there and the kids use it once or twice. All of a sudden, the water's all over the place. We buy another one the next summer. Uh, but some have a view of God uh, that instead of an ocean, as the Apostle Paul describes him with, with depths, instead sometimes we think about God as a kiddie pool. You know, we put it out and, you know, we've got it right there. Or sometimes we think about God as the, you know, those pools they have at hotels. We think, oh, the hotel has a pool. Oh, that's great. And then you get there and it's like, it's like a, a large bathtub. Something like that. Sometimes we think about God that way, that, he's, that we've got him contained. You know, we've swum in all the corners of the pool. Uh, we know everything about it. Uh, that's not the same with the ocean. Now, we confess... Uh, an infinite, you used some of these words earlier today, infinite, immutable, omnipotent, sovereign, just, uh, omniscient, good, uh, and most good, and most loving God. That's what you confessed. And so it's kind of like, you know, when you look at a diamond, as many have said, uh, looking at God is like you're just, you're just um, you know, holding that diamond up in the light, and you're just turning it around and around and around and around. And there's more, there's always more, more beauty to be seen from a little, a little different angle. And a new color will shine forth and you'll, you'll see, you'll see uh, more. But in all his attributes, Paul mentions these things. He mentions his riches, his wisdom, his knowledge, his judgments, and his ways. And he tells us there are depths that we've never seen uh, or yet Explore. You know, the Bible talks about that. It talks about in Ephesians, the unsearchable riches uh, of Christ. It talks about the riches of His, uh, riches of His glory. 
Uh, in Romans 2, Paul will talk about the, uh, his, his, uh, the riches of his patience and kindness uh, towards, towards us. Well, wisdom, wisdom we know, that's the ability to select the, uh, the best means uh, to attain uh, the highest goal. That's wisdom. The best means to attain the highest goal, to know, to discern uh, what is best. Well, that's God. Uh, depths of knowledge. Uh, the word omniscience means all-knowing. His understanding, we say, is, is infinite. Not only does he know all things, past, present, and future, but he knows them completely without fault. His judgments, that is, his decrees, his decisions, uh, we, can't, uh, we can't grasp them. They are unsearchable. We can't, we can't quite find why... Mm-mm. In his ways, the Apostle Paul says, well, they're inscrutable. It could be translated untraceable. It comes from the word for, um, for following someone's footsteps, right? You trace somebody, you track somebody. You can't do that with God. You can't see exactly where he's come from. <laughs> and uh, no, it, it, untraceable, inscrutable. He's there. He acts, but we can't figure out exactly how and why and and when? Um, how did that happen? Why did this happen? What's the cause and effect? We can't see all the connections. And Paul says, in all these things, riches, wisdom, knowledge, judgments, ways of God, there are great deeps. <laughs> there are deeps. Martin Luther spoke of, uh, of the hidden God. There's ways and judgments and things about God that, yes, He's, he's revealed so much to us. We've got 66 books to swim in. Um, but there's a lot about God that is still hidden and unknown. There's great deeps. And don't miss, of course, how the Apostle Paul begins verse 33. He says, Oh! <laughs> oh! The depths uh, of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. That's an, that's a, that's an, uh, an, that's an expression of, uh, of, of delight or it's kind of like behold or something like that. Uh, in other words, the Apostle Paul is deeply himself uh, moved by, by what he's been thinking about. Oh! He's struck by the wonder of it all when he thinks about this God. You ever had that? You ever been? You ever been to a uh, a national park? I think there's there's one up north in New Jersey. We haven't been there yet, right? I think there's a national park. But you ever go to a national park, or maybe you go up a mountain or something like that, and maybe you, maybe you take a hike or something like that, and you come around a corner and and you see a certain vista, and you're kind of like, <gasps> as you see the wonder of the what the Lord's put before you in in, in creation, or maybe a uh, or maybe a baby is born and it's. <gasps> Uh, something so wondrous uh, that your heart is moved. As Augustine famously said in one of his sermons, if you can grasp it, it isn't God. No one will truly love a God who is not worthy of their reverence or does not produce uh, in you, it was produced in the Apostle Paul. Oh! All oh, the depths you see. Because no one will truly love a God who's not worthy of their reverence 
and who does not leave them awestruck at his terrible majesty and power. Nobody does, and nobody ever has. Oh, they might go through the motions, but they do not truly love him unless they have seen something, you see, of the depths of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. No one will think to worship a God who is merely a mirage image of himself or herself. The bigger God becomes, the smaller the self. The bigger the self becomes, the smaller the God. The bigger God becomes, the bigger our worship and adoration and zeal to serve Him. And we cry out with Paul, Oh! Oh, the depths of the riches and the wisdom and the knowledge of God. So that is, the things we know about God... um, whether we're four years old or 40 years old or 80 years old, we'll never, ever get to the bottom. I remember visiting a national aquarium somewhere when we lived in upstate New York, way upstate New York. I think it was maybe Boston. I can't remember. But they had one of those IMAX theaters, uh, and their film was called uh, The Deep and, um, and you're in this theater, but they pretend you're entering a submersible. So you get in your seat, and it's just a screen, but you get in your seat, and it's as if you start going uh, down, down, down. And you begin to see, uh, on the screen, you begin to see creatures you've never seen before. And every new one, it's like, oh, what is that? This fish with a, a, you know, a light on its head. Because it's so far down. It's so dark. God created him with a a built-in flashlight. Down in the deeps. God is so deep in His riches and wisdom and knowledge and ways and judgment, says the Apostle Paul. The true believer never, never, never anticipates a boring Bible study. You ever go to a Bible study thinking, what can I possibly learn? I've read this book before. I've read this passage before. I mean, I've been a Christian for 30, 40, 100 years. What can I possibly have more to learn about this God? You ever say that? You ever think that? You're wrong. Oh, you're wrong. There are deeps, depths. You've never seen of this glorious God. But if you have said that, if, and if that's your experience, church is boring, worship's boring, sermons are boring, singing's boring, um, Bible says boring, growth group's boring. If that is your experience, you can be sure that the problem is not in God, but in you. It's not in the Bible. That's not where the problem is. It's in you. And how you need the work of His Spirit to open your eyes to the depths that are there, you see. In fact, the older you get, the more you know, uh, the more you realize, the less you know, you know of God. Yeah? Is that true? The older you get, the more you know, the more you realize, the less you know, you know 
of God. And friends, Paul's point is simply here is, is this, that the, the riches of God, the rich give to the poor, not the other way around. Uh, notice these questions he asks, for who has known the mind of the Lord, who has been his counselor, or who has given a gift to him uh, that he might be uh, repaid? Has this ever happened, says the Apostle Paul? Has, has God ever needed the counsel of man? Uh, do we ever give something to God expecting to be repaid as if he were somehow in our debt? No, says Paul. Why not? Because he is the one who gives. And he is the one to whom we owe we owe everything. Because from him comes all things. The Apostle Paul, when he's writing to the church in, in Corinth, 2 Corinthians 8, uh, verse 9, says this, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich... Yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, by his poverty, uh, might become rich. He gives to us rich in faith, rich in grace, rich in mercy, rich in every way. And thanks be to God, says Paul a chapter later, thinking about the Lord Jesus. Thanks be to God, he says, for his, his inexpressible inexpressible gift. Who's ever given to God that we would think He owes us something? Oh no, says Paul. He is the great. He is the great giver. Now what's our response to that then? So we've got, so we've got, the, the, we've got Paul reflecting on the sovereignty of God and salvation and uh, saying that there's this knowledge of God, there's this, this, these, these deeps that we are to, to, to plumb uh, and to search out. Um, where does all this meant to lead us? Well, he tells us in verse 36, we swim uh, in the depths together as a church. We swim, we swim deep and forever uh, in our growing in grace and the knowledge of our God. Uh, and we swim uh, in those deeps uh, for His glory. Notice what Paul says, for from Him then, if we're tracking his thought, for from him, through him, and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. That is, to him be praise forever. That is, to him would he be magnified in our hearts and lives and words and deeds forever. It's all about him receiving praise from us his creatures, whether it's the creation, the inanimate creation, uh, or, or whether it's us created in his image. And of course, that's what the Apostle Paul will say uh, to the church in Corinth as they're reflecting on their, on their Christian life. They were having a, a, a dispute uh, about a number of different things. And so the Apostle Paul tells them, so whether you eat or drink, this is what it comes down to, he says, whether you're eating or drinking or whatever you do, do all uh, to the glory of God. That is, do all of you uh, to the praise of this God who's got depths of riches and wisdom and knowledge and ways and judgments that are so beyond us. But from Him and through Him and to Him are to be all things. Now, why would this be the case? Uh, why is the Apostle Paul then closing Romans 11 uh, with this... Um, with this expression of to him be glory forever. 
Well, listen to, uh, listen to a 17th century uh, Puritan named Stephen Sharnock who had a few things to write uh, about the character of God and what it leads to in our life. This is what he said. So we're reflecting on who God is, and this is what Stephen Sharnock said. If he, that is if God, be a fountain and sea of goodness. Now, we've just been talking about God's like an ocean. So if it's true what Paul's saying here, if he, that's God, be a fountain and sea of goodness, he cannot be weary of doing good. No more than a fountain or sea is of flowing. The ocean never gets tired. Never gets tired. All goodness delights to communicate itself. Infinite goodness, that's God, hath then an infinite delight in expressing itself. It's a part of His goodness not to be weary of showing it. He can never then be weary of being solicited or prayed to or sought after for the effusions of it. If we ask for for help and grace and uh, goodness from him, if he rejoices over his people to do them good, he will rejoice in any opportunities offered to him to honor his goodness. Man is weary of being often solicited because he hath a finite, not a bottomless goodness. You have a, a child that comes to you and says, oh, can I have this? Can I have that? You say, oh, of course, I love you. They come again 10 minutes later. Oh, can I have this? Can I have that? You say, well, I, I love you. Here you go. Uh, they, come, they come again. You say, okay, listen, um, I'm not so sure about this. Um, because we only have a limited amount of, of goodness. That is not the truth about God, says Sharnock. He has a, a bottomless ocean of goodness. That is, he never gets tired of having us come to him. Isn't that encouraging? He is full of goodness and grace. And so we keep coming to the Lord and he keeps receiving us and he keeps delighting uh, to respond to us. He keeps delighting to uh, uh, grant us forgiveness. He keeps delighting to pour out his spirit upon us. He keeps delighting to be patient with us and to be kind towards us. And, all, and, and because this is this is all true, we are we are then drawn to him. Right. We're drawn to the one who is overflowing with goodness and, and grace. We're drawn to them. We're as it were, we're drawn We're drawn to that ocean. We want to go deeper. We want to plunge ourselves into that ocean who is God Himself. When we lived in California, uh, there were were OPC pastors there, or still are, uh, who who would go surfing, uh, preach on Sunday, and they'd surf during the week. Well, not all week, of course, but they'd go... Uh, once or twice, and I never did that. I never did that, as you could imagine. Uh, but we did have a we did have a man in our congregation there in Sovereign Grace who was quite quite a surfer uh, in his in his day. And I remember talking with him that you know as the and I said, well, why would you want to do that? I mean, I, I don't you know as I said, I'm scared of the water. And and uh, and he 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 put it something like this. He said, well, as a surfer, you know, you're kind of uh, you're kind of drawn to the ocean. And so, you, you know, you get dressed and you grab your surfboard and you're just, it's kind of like the, the ocean's calling you to come. <laughs> I thought, oh, hmm, there's, there's depths in God. And we will never get to the bottom. And we are drawn to Him, you see. Especially when the Bible says that, um, you know, we're, we're blinded on our sin. 
But one of the works of the Holy Spirit is that He takes those blinders off. We're blinded by the evil one. He doesn't want us to see. And so those, those blinders are taken off. So the Bible says in, in 2 Corinthians 4 that we, that we then as believers, we see, uh, we see the glory of God in the face of who? Christ. A believer is someone who's, who's had the blinders taken off and then something of this glory of His riches, His wisdom, His knowledge, His ways, His judgments, something of that glory penetrates through and, uh, and we see the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. In His life, His death, His resurrection. So whenever you look at Jesus in the Bible, you're seeing something of the revelation of the glory of God and the depth, you see. Depths of His love and depths of His grace. Depths of His his mercy. And you, like a surfer in California, being drawn to the ocean, when you see something of that glory of the depths in the ocean of God and His love to us in Christ, um, you you are drawn to Him. It is the testimony, friends, of the of the psalmist who says to us in Psalm 63, as that psalm opens these words, O God, You are my God. Earnestly I seek You. My soul thirsts for You. My flesh faints for You. As in a dry and weary land, here it is again, as, there is, uh, as in a dry and weary land where there is no water, so I've looked upon You in the sanctuary, beholding Your power and Your glory, because Your steadfast love is better than life. My lips, you know what it ends? My lips will praise you. Because your steadfast love is better than life. My lips will will glorify you, will sing. Your praise is not my own. I don't want to be a Herod. No, no glory for me. No glory for man. No glory for any other man. The only glory, the only praise that is due in this church is glory and praise to God. Why? Because from Him and through Him and to Him are all, all things. Let me just end with this from, uh, from John Stott uh, many years ago uh, reflecting on this, on this passage. It's reflecting on the fact that this this, 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 this call to, to glorify God in all things comes at the end of Romans 11 after, after a lot of teaching. And he says this, For 11 chapters, Paul has been giving his comprehensive account of the Gospel. And, uh, and that's what we're going to be doing together as a church and what you've been doing for many, many years already. And, and our families just kind of come in, part of your family. And, uh, and we're going to be continuing to, to, uh, to revel uh, in the Gospel. Step by step, said Stott, he's shown how God has revealed his way of putting sinners right with himself, how Christ died for our sins and was raised for our justification. He's talking about the book of Romans. How we're united with Christ in his death and resurrection. How the Christian life is lived, not under the law, but in the spirit. How God plans to incorporate the fullness of Israel and of the Gentiles into his new community. Paul's horizons are vast. He's been talking about all this. He takes in time and eternity and history and eschatology and justification and sanctification and glorification and then says, now he stops at the end of Romans 11. <sighs> Out of breath. <laughs> Stott says about Paul. I guess the end of Romans 11. Whew! Okay. 
Analysis and argument must give way to adoration. Like a traveler, says Scott, who has reached the summit of an alpine ascent in Switzerland. You, you've climbed, and now you've you got to stop for a minute. The apostle turns and contemplates what he's just talked about. Depths are at his feet, but waves of light illumine them, and there spreads all around an immense horizon which his eye commands. And before Paul goes on to outline the practical implications of the gospel, he falls down before God ah, and worships. Isn't that great? Theology leads to doxology, study of God, whether it's here in church and worship in a growth group or study uh, midweek, whatever it is, teaching your children about the Lord. All that study is meant to lead to praise. It's meant to lead to giving glory to God uh, for all His goodness and all His, and all His grace. We swim and will be swimming in the depths of who He is seeing His glory in the face of Jesus Christ. And as we're swimming in those depths, when we come up for air, what is meant to come out of our mouth, the Bible says, is praise and glory to such a God, the God and Father of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. This is where our study must lead us. This is where uh, we must end as well, like the Apostle Paul. Thinking about God, thinking about God. And we're out of breath. And, uh, and we need to praise and give Him the glory that is due His name. May we do that uh, in weeks, months, years to come. Next week we'll be beginning in the, uh, in the Gospel of Mark, which begins this way. The beginning of the Gospel of Jesus Christ. And uh, what uh, more do we need uh, that, to lead us then to praise Him for such a gospel? Let's pray uh, together. Heavenly Father, uh, we come before You today. Uh, Lord, as, uh, we don't know how to swim. Uh, Lord, we're, uh, we're born averse to the water. We're born in... A rebellion against the one who reveals himself so gloriously in Scripture. So, Lord, we're so thankful that by the work of your Holy Spirit, uh, you uh, remove the blinders that are on our eyes and caked over our heart and stopping up our ears so that we might see something of the glory, something of the depths of the, the riches and the wisdom and the, the knowledge and the ways and the judgments of you, our great creator, God, creator, redeemer, Sustainer, the one who is coming again. So, Lord, we pray that as we continue together, Lord's Day by Lord's Day, this evening as well, back in the book of Jonah, Lord, whenever we come together to study something of who you are, oh, Lord, that study would always lead us where it must lead us to acknowledge that from you, through you, and, and to you are, are all things, and to you will be the glory. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.